Surprise! Well, kind of. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tracks, the official Avenged Sevenfold podcast, where we ordinarily pick a song from Avenged Sevenfold's back catalogue and take you on a journey through that particular track, hence the name. But this is a very special show. In fact, it's the first of a whole bunch of special shows on the run-up to the eagerly awaited June 2nd release of Avenged Sevenfold's eighth full-length studio album, Life is but a dream. And I have to say thank you for all of the incredibly kind words that you had to say about our episode on Nobody. Of course, the first single from Life is But a Dream. It is comfortably the biggest episode we've done so far. So thank you for that. But I tell you about that episode because if you haven't checked out the episode on Nobody, I'd suggest doing so just for some added context on some of the themes that are going to be discussed on today episode and for some really cool info about the album itself the band tell us stories here that you won't hear anywhere else so make sure you've checked out that episode which brings us to this very episode the first of a series of chats about life is but a dream and the various elements that go into the album we will be concentrating on the album's artwork and the video that accompanied nobody, the visual aesthetics, if you will, on this episode. And we're also fortunate to be joined by some very, very special guests. Are you hyped? Well, you really, really should be. A7XWorld.com is the place to pre-order Life is But a Dream. And on that very record, emblazoned upon it and inside it is where you will find artwork from the mind and spirit of Mr. Wes Lang. If you've never heard of Wes before, his story is incredible. He's a true artist with this almost Prince-style mysticism around him. We're going to be hearing from Wes shortly, and then we're going to hear from Chris Hopewell, the human leading the charge behind the video to Nobody, who also did the title track for the stage, I should say. Chris is stopping by to talk to us about stop motion and much, much more. So... Thank you for being with us. There will be more Surprise Tracks episodes on the run-up to the album's release on June 2nd, so make sure you're subscribed here. Pre-save the album wherever you stream your music. And, of course, the world tour is currently being rolled out for Life is But a Dream. It's going to begin in a few weeks' time with a special show here in Los Angeles at the Forum on June the 9th and MSG in NYC on June 23rd. Get your tickets now if you are in the death bats club you will already have experienced how easy it was to buy tickets for the date that you wanted you got the tickets that you needed without any hassle so thank you for supporting the dbc we'll see you in the discord and that is about it from me i am bees he is m shadows westlang and chris hopewell on the way here's matt to discuss all things westlang <laughs> I'm not sure exactly where I first saw him. It could have been the merch from Yeezus, or it could have been, oh, it could have been from Benji and Joel Madden. But I do know I ended up meeting Wes through Benji and Joel. So from what I understand is Wes came out from the East Coast and Joel or Benji reached out to him and said, hey, you're moving to LA, like want to introduce ourselves, we're huge fans of you. And they became really good friends with them. And at some point I reached out to them because I saw like a picture with them or they had some merch on or something. And I was like, dude, you know, Wes Lang. And they're like, dude, he's like our boy. Like you guys would get along so well. This was probably like six years ago or so, maybe even longer. Um, and so they put us on text messages where we were all on a group text together for a while. And, and Wes was being Wes, you know, he's just very hard to, to figure out, you know, like, but very nice and kind, but also like, okay, like, you know, just trying to feel this guy's vibe out. And yeah, just um, an, an enigma. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And so eventually he invites me. He's like, you got to come to the studio, check out the studio. So I ended up going to a studio, just hanging out multiple times, right? Where we just go up there and look at art and just walk around. I mean, his, his studio space is incredible. It's like legendary. It's huge. And there's like, you can't help but go in there and not be kind of impressed, blown away. Like there's paintings that are just bigger than people's houses. Right. And they're just, it's crazy. And um, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. So, you know, we got to know each other. We talked about the Grateful Dead. We talked about the Misfits. We talked about working with Kanye. What, like just everything is, and then he got to know a lot about us and just the band and just, you know, just really becoming friends, you know, first. And then I think after a few years, when we started on this record, I asked him if he would be interested in doing the art for the record. And he just said, no, he said, you know, I don't, I, I did stuff with the Grateful Dead. Wasn't a great experience for me. Didn't like working with the label label took all my writing. And then they basically, you know, um, put it through a typewriter and just started doing stuff that I didn't do. And then they, they wanted to, you know, like it was label stuff, you know, like dealing with an artist. And so that really turned him off, um, to doing anything with us. And then it, on top of that, Grateful Dead was on Warner Brothers and we're on Warner Brothers. And it was like, ah, those guys. And so it became like this, all right, not going to ask anymore, whatever. But we kept hanging out. I think it was funny because I think Fat Mike even like was able to get me and Wes and our families like the COVID booster shot earlier or something. And I remember, we, like, and so we, I mean, like just weird stuff. Like we were just boys, you know, like, hey, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and then Fat Mike knew this punk rock nurse and the punk rock nurse called us and said, okay, you guys get in. I like, love total, it. Like, like oh, weird punks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. And um, so we became close and hanging out. And then like, I started sending him, he's like, I want to hear the new stuff. You know, and as we were getting demos done and getting the record done, um, I started sending him demos. And I was like, dude, we did this song. Um, it's really inspired by your Nobody painting. And we, it's called Nobody. And um, he's like, no, really? And so I sent him the song. He's like, this is amazing. I'm so honored and blown away. That's so cool. And so I just started sending him stuff. And like, he would send us paintings. Like, all the stuff he was doing, he'd send me pictures. And the rule is just don't put them out there. You know, don't let yeah. people see them. Yeah because people will make merch and they'll do stuff and before he gets it out there. And mm. so this art that he was sending us was really inspiring the kind of go further, go further mindset that we had. Um, he had done a lot of stuff with color and um, animation and um, meaning like different styles. And it was also build, having us build this confidence where West didn't have to be, you know, skeleton Indians and, you know, provocative, you know, Native American stuff. It was like, now he was doing like Bugs Bunny, like doing like just weird stuff. And so we were being really inspired by the art. And then about a year ago, a year and a half ago, he hits me up one day and he, and he sends me like three drawings of what you, you'll see now, right? He's like, what do you think of this stuff? I'm like, this is incredible, dude. This is awesome. Then he sends me like two more. He's like, I'm on a roll right now. I'm just going. Then he sends me like three more, like within hours, the next day, like, five more. And I'm like, dude, this shit's incredible. He's like, I did it for your record. I'm like, what? Then I didn't know what to ask him. Like, cause knowing Wes, I was, I thought I'd be like, Oh, so we can use that for the record. I thought he'd be like, Oh no, I was like, yeah. the record is no, you can't use it. Like, yeah. so then like, I think Wes at that point realized that we were serious. He realized that we realized that he was serious and this wasn't going to be some like, you know, goofy bro deal. Like we wanted to be in a partnership with each other. We wanted him to not only do the art, but have a larger role, right? So the live show, the aesthetic, the meaning, how the merch comes out, how the, all these things. And we said, we want to be protective of your art, but we also want to break out of the mold of guy does design in Indonesia, sends it over here for 200 bucks and you put it on a black shirt and then that's, that's it. So the idea was, we will use this art. We will do a partnership with you where anything that's anywhere, Wes has to approve it. That is not something cheesy or lame. So make his art look bad or make us look bad. But he's also um, like, like almost like a tastemaker to where every piece of merch that comes through, everything we're doing, we're trying to push limits. But Wes is deeply involved in, it's almost like the, the direction of everything, right? Yeah. And so the idea is, that we can break out of that mold, which 
we live in that mold. So we want to, we don't, and we don't exactly know how to do it, but we bring Wes in and he has the benefit of being able to do things cheaper than an Amiri jacket that costs $2,800. Now you can get the Ben Sevenfold Wes Lang one, but Wes helped designed it, but it's done on a, in a way that someone that wants a $40 t-shirt or $30 t-shirt can afford a Wes Lang event sevenfold thing. So it's like this collaboration in a way that um, I think is really unique and cool. And it brings like this kind of tastemaker vibe to what we're doing. And um, so everything from the art on the album and how the album was placed together and to the live show, he, he literally is involved in all that. And I think that's a cool relationship to have. Yeah, I love the purity of the art influence in the art in the first place. And then you taking that to the, like, I hate using the word business, but the the business landscape, the, okay, how do we make this artwork in this next space? But it all comes from the art influence in the art. That's wicked. Yeah. Uh, last thing about Wes before we hear from the man himself, the despot. Did you take it to him to redesign the death battle or like, how did that come about? Because like, it's so iconic and Wes's take on it is fucking unbelievable on both sides of the fence. It looks great as a redesigned death bat. It looks great. If you've never seen the death bat before in your life as a Wes Lang piece, like how did that come to pass before we hear from the man himself? Yeah. So um, he had done the pieces for the record and that deal was all done. And then I think he saw our logo and he said, I think it needs a, a revamp for this cycle at least. And so, so the deal with that was, he's like, I'll do these for you, but I get to keep them. So they stay in his studio, but we have the rights to use them. Right. So it's like a partnership again. Um, the other paintings we have, right. Like we have all the real ones and we own them and they're ours um, with his approval on merch. Yeah. But the death that he just came to us and said, I'm going to do these. Cause I think it needs something. I want to do a few of them. I think he did like five of them. And those are the two he was happy with. And then we were in there while he was doing them, finishing them up. And then he wrote, we love you over one of them. And the record was done at that point. He was living with the record. And I think he just wanted to do it purely out of, I want to do my own take on that. Mm -hmm. So it was really just natural. And it was nothing that we asked him to do. We just said, that's awesome. If you do it, we weren't planning on having a death bat involved in this cycle. Um, but I think he just really wanted to take a shot at it. And so he gave us two versions of it. You were considering not having a death bat part of this cycle. Yep. You can't just you can't just casually throw that in there. Yeah, well, we 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 believe in retooling and relooking at everything. Huh. What what influenced that decision? <laughs> I'm not let, I'm not letting you off the hook there. What what influenced um, that decision? Where did that come from? Because that's a because that that is that's a big thing. It's so part of the especially as we did unholy confessions on tracks like and that the whole thing coming to pass. It's a big thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, things can take a break for a little while. Um, I think when you're looking at his art, if you stick the death bat on there, it kind of ruins it. It, it uh, yeah. matches. And then when you look at where we're trying to go, so where does the death bat go? Do you put, do you put that capsule of West art and then you have a shirt on the side that has the death bat? I'm sure we will go back at some point to the other vibe, but I think things can take a break for a while. And I think I'm not afraid of that. The death bat will always be a part of, the origins of Avenged Sevenfold, but if you can't break yourself away from the chains that kind of propelled you, they also, those same chains will hold you back. And so we're okay with moving forward and, and taking a little break. I really must apologize if I came off a little startled at the end of our chat there. I was just not prepared in any way for the notion of the death bat being dropped. Absolutely wild. Stick around. There is more to come from Matt a little bit later on in the show when he starts talking about the video process behind nobody. So... As you just heard, there is a brand new death bat design for this cycle. I'm sure you'll have seen it by now. If not, hunt it out because it has been designed by the fascinating creative force that exists within the man that we are about to talk to, Wes Lang. And Wes's story is absolutely amazing. If you are not aware of Wes, there is a really phenomenal feature with GQ on him that Matt very kindly recommended to me in the run-up to our chat. And it is so rad because I have to confess 
that I've got a bit of a love for people that are off the grid. What I mean by that is... I guess TikTok and Instagram and those kind of tools can be incredible when they're used creatively. But I do have a soft spot for when an artist just disappears when they're not on stage or creating. Someone like Kendrick Lamar, I guess, is what I'm talking about. He's off the grid. You don't see him on Twitter complaining about his hotel service or seeing him on Instagram doing selfies when he's not creating. Westlang is very much like that. He's an island. He's out there. You only hear from him when he wants to let you know that he's doing something. And so... Here it is, a rare insight into the process and the inspirations of one of our collective favourite designers, Wes Lang. This world is, uh, everybody's constantly wanting everybody to know everything about them all the time, you know? And I just find no joy in that. And I look at people I know that, that adhere to living their life that way and they're very stressed and anxious and worried about what's this, that, and the other thing. And I just don't want to live that way. You know, I'm 50 years old. I'm not like a kid. So I didn't grow up with any of that. I feel kind of lucky that I was able to maybe forge my own identity before all of this kind of stuff came out. So yeah, I just like, I like my, my life to be real quiet and calm and not filled with extraneous, unnecessary noise, you know? Yeah, I do, I do all too well as well. It's funny enough, I was, um, I was watching, uh, I don't know if you're a pro wrestling fan or not, but I was watching The Undertaker have this very conversation this week about... Oh. He lived the character purposefully off the grid. Like the Undertaker's not telling you that his service is bad on Twitter or those kind of things. Is that a lifestyle choice as much as a choice to go with your art? Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm just, I don't know. The more I work and the deeper I get into making what I make, I just keep pursuing the negative parts of the ego to get smaller and smaller and smaller. I'm not saying that I'm totally successful at that by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know that by keeping things tight knit and meeting people the way I do just through word of mouth and through people that I trust and it, it just kind of, it just suits me better. And I've been working that way for quite a long time. You know, it's not like something new. It's just, it kind of spawned. I lived in, in New York for most of my adult life. And then 10 years ago, I'm a little over 10 years ago, I moved out to Los Angeles. And Los Angeles just sort of started um, offering me opportunity by living my life very anonymously, because I just frankly didn't know that many people, you know. Yeah. And so the people that I would meet would you know, you're kind of able to sort of choose who you're spending time with here a little bit different. And it, it kind of lends itself to to being quiet and, and hiding out if you want it to be that way. And I want it to be that way. I'm not chasing anything. You know what I mean? I yeah. found my purpose and and I take it very seriously and I work incredibly hard. And I think that that's another reason that that my work succeeds is that I don't spend a lot of time chasing people paying attention to what I'm doing and talking about what I'm doing. I just fucking do it. I'm not out going to art openings. I'm not out going to dinners. I'm not doing that. I never really have, you know, the art that I like, I like. And if I find something that's really interesting, that's new, great. But I'm much more interested in music than any other art form besides, you know, there's artists I love and admire and it's inspire me and all of that. But I think at the end of the day, music is has always been incredibly impactful on my life. My father is a, uh, I would use the word psychotic record collector. And so our vacations growing up were jumping in his Dodge minivan and driving through the Midwest and finding record stores in St. Louis and Chicago, all these small cities and, and um, go record hunting.
I grew up in New Jersey, just like a half hour outside of, of New York City. And so our weekends were spent at JR Music World and the Strand Bookstore. And I spent a ton of time at this comic book shop called Forbidden Planet that, you know, was directly, when I was a little kid, it was directly across the street from the Strand and it was fucking huge. Two levels. And my dad would go to Strand. I'd go in there, look at like Garfield books and that kind of shit. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm going to Forbidden Planet. And I would spend half a day there. So I was lucky my dad would give me a few bucks to buy a comic book or whatever. But I, I kind of cherished like kind of taking mental snapshots of things I was seeing instead of I didn't need to have all of it, you know? Yeah. Is that mishmash of the two like a good a, a good starting point to talking about your art itself? Because I like the fact that even paying attention to the musicians' names that you have tattooed on yourself, you seem to like outsider art, like genre be damned. It's just like that's the only word that I feel like ties all of those things together. And even when you look at like skulls and things like that like yeah they have their place in mainstream but it's more something that they've taken from outsider art is that yourself represented through your work i would i I would think so a bit yeah i mean most of my work is it's hard for me to you know each painting i make is gonna be reflective of like what i'm living through at the moment you know they're all different purposes the album art that i did for the guys is like I made all of those drawings in April of last year. I did like four or five of them on a Friday or Saturday. I can't remember. And then a couple of days later, my son was born. Right. And I obviously was home and just like really in it with that. I really needed to like get to the studio to just let something out. I I needed to. So I went down and I made the remaining like 15, 16 of those drawings in a, in a day or so. And I was just texting them to Matt as I was making them. And, and it just, it felt like, you know, all that work was inspired by like the, the rush of having a baby, you know, but it's very dark. The imagery is super dark, but there's a lot of lot of hope in the in the messages that are in those paintings, which is indicative of what I do across the board. You know, it's uh, I'm trying through my work to teach people a way to look at the world that the world is the world is here for you to take and do what you want with it. It's just a, a matter of your outlook. And that, so I just constantly keep pushing these messages along with these images of, of death, you know, to dumb it down is basically like, we only got so much time. You gotta like, you know, get a grasp and appreciate yourself and be happy with yourself and make something, whether you're, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, I'm not telling everybody needs to be an artist or a musician or whatever. I, you can be happy making French fries all day. And I'm sure that I know there are people that are and should do it with a sense of purpose, you know, mm. and be able to feel good about yourself. You know, that's where I'm coming from. But there's, there's something that's quite interesting about um, the conversation that Matt and I had about your work, where he said, uh, like, something really jumped out at me that he said about, uh, you say that anyone can draw skulls, but your skulls have personality. When yeah. when you're talking about something that is, you know, on the surface level, people see a grim reaper and a scythe and a and a skull, but you're telling me it's like created in this life-changing moment, right? Like having a child, like I don't have kids, so I can't even imagine what the feeling must be behind that. How do those two things interact? Like what the skull having personality and the artwork created for the record in that moment? Big question. So I'm asking. <laughs> Sorry, mate. All I can say is when I was making that work, something was like forcing me to make it at a very fast, fast pace. I just was like, I've got to just do these. I got to do them. I got to do them. I got to do them. And then I wasn't sending them to, to Matt at first to like have it be that an album cover or anything. It's just 
I kind of send him work that I'm working on on a fairly regular basis, just yeah. part of us being bros. And like, then all of a sudden it sort of started to crystallize that like I was talking to him for a reason about it. I wasn't sending it to other people, maybe my wife, but like, you know, I was just keeping it. I was just having a conversation with Matt as I was making these works. And then it just made perfect sense that we worked together finally, you know, cause we talked about it, but nothing had ever, you know, they were still formulating what they were doing. Yeah. And so, and also, you know, maybe he talked about this, but there's like the song, nobody is inspired by a drawing that I did. that just says simply just says nobody on it. And it's a grim reaper on a horse and a couple other little guys floating around or whatever. And that was from a body of work I made in 2019. And I had shown it all to Matt and, um, he just kept bringing up how important that that piece was to him and how it was inspiring them to make music. And I was, I feel really lucky to, to, to have the ability to inspire guys like them. I mean, they're fucking huge, you know, mm. like yeah, way bigger than I'll ever be. Yeah. And like, if I can have any sort of um, inspiration on a song being made. That's blows my mind. You know, it blows my mind. I, like I said, I grew up, my dad owned a record store. I spent my entire childhood and adult life collecting music. You know, it's it's unbearably important to to my identity. And um, I've had opportunities to work with lots of different bands, but I don't really take them because I haven't felt inspired by their music. It's and, it's art. It's art, and not a commission. Yeah. You know, it's this just happened. That's why it's good. Mm. It wasn't um, a deadline I had to meet or, you know, it was just the work came out of me and it landed in the world at the exact time that the guys needed it. Uh, and I'm so proud of that work. I'm so excited to see it. You know, I, I was texted a picture. My friend was driving through Hollywood today and I guess there's like a giant fucking billboard. And yeah. And, I live um, in North Hollywood, so yeah, I don't want, yeah. Yeah, and like, um, you know, Matt sent me a picture that somebody already had tattooed one of the images on their thigh. I was like, what? The thing just came out like a day Days ago. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited. And, you know, it's, I know that Avenge has fans that are diehard and rabid. Mm -hmm. And like, if I can do something that, that gets, their core audience excited that's going to mean a lot to me you know i hope i did you know it seems like i you know i hope i did i just i can't wait for the release date and you know i actually like pre-ordered my vinyl <laughs> website a couple of days ago and i've got my turntable ready to uh to listen to that thing um yeah i've, I've heard it all but it's been in like uh I don't have a continuous version. Oh, you haven't heard it as the body of work yet? It's a pain in the ass to listen to it. Matt and I have talked about this. He, I don't know if he's actually even really resolved it. <laughs> but it's, um, it's uh, I just want to be able to, to flip the albums over and, and or be like in my car driving with the windows rolled down and the music just blasting out of the car and, working at the studio, listening to it. And I'm going to force feed that album on anybody I've ever met. Yeah. I forget the title of the song, but my wife and I were listening to an early rough cut before they mastered it. Like Matt was sending me roughs of songs and I really could only listen to them through my phone. Yeah. And uh, like I looked over and, and my wife's like eyes were watering and I was like, I, and I was feeling like choked up by it. And I don't know if she's actually ever heard the band before she heard that song. And it like moved her to feel that. And I was, you know, it's, it's really fucking beautiful. It's almost got this like revelation type reveal of what they're capable of the way that like Kid A had on Radiohead, you know, where it was the fuck. I feel what was nice about what these guys did is they like paused, lived, 
had a lot of experiences happen to them with family, you know, all kinds of things came at them. And they gave themselves the chance to, to grow inside and mentally. And, and I think it, you know, there's like a fucking maturity to this that is impossible for them to make when they were fucking 20, you know? Yeah. I just think that this is like the beginning of a whole new chapter where they're just start just blowing all different types of people's minds with what yeah. they're doing, you know? Yeah. And that they're going to challenge all of those people with this art. Cause I like, I did the, the lads first UK feature, like back in the early two thousands mm-hmm. and like, they were always exceptional musicians at that point. But when you hear things like some of the, the orchestration and the piano parts and those kind of things on this, it's something that can only come with, with that time. And yeah. something I wanted to chop up and ask you about was that flow state. Like that, it just, it feels like it's coming out of you. Like Alan Moore's, uh, there's a there's a good quote that is where he says about we're just a window for that creativity in that moment. Is that when you feel like you're, because you're a creator, right? Like, and you work every day and we all put our effort into our craft, but there's that day when that thing happens and it's kind of an in- indescribable, like, lightning bolt moment. Can you describe the, the flow state and the music and how, like, do those two things correlate or are they just like a happy coincidence? Yeah, they definitely correlate. Those, like, lightning bolt moments, when you achieve that, and then you have the next day where it's like, fuck, I work. why can't I? Why don't I feel like if you just stay and focus and do and do and do and do and do, you can kind of create a world where you are that motherfucking lightning bolt. And that's how I feel. I've let go of this guy. I'm letting the lightning bolt or whatever the fuck you want to call it run the show and I'm just there to give him my hand. And so, and, and that's what the, their, their album feels like this, that same thing. That's what I'm going to just keep repeating myself. It's like, there's just something about the way that that work has this frantic, but beautiful, like they the work I did is so like, there's a lot of chaos, but there's also a lot of serene negative space. And there's, there's, it looks like what the album sounds like. That just happens because the lightning bolts were in charge of both of us, you know? I've gotten to know the other guys, speak with Zach fairly frequently, and we both have like a lifelong psychotic obsession with the misfits i i haven't i have a crimson skull neck tattoo myself i was the same i saw it on cliff burton's i saw the the logo before i ever knew the band i saw it on cliff burton's shirt and was like what the fuck is that and then they released the the box set that was the coffin when i was a kid and that that was my entry point but it's a, it's a interesting point for the last question that i'm going to ask you for this which is the Misfits were a band that really resonated with me because it's everything that I fucking like. Like, yeah. it's the, the image of it is what I like. The movies that went into it, like, it's punk, it's metal, it's it's all of these things. And Avenged made me feel that same way in the early 2000s when Waking the Fallen came out. I was like, oh, they like No Effects and Pantera. Okay, cool, yeah, me too. But there's something that ties these two bands is an iconic image. They've got the Crimson Skull and we've got the Death Bat. Now... You've taken on the death bat. Like, what are the challenges with that? And how do you, how, how was that experience for you? Well, I tried not to um, let the weight of what it represents into my making of it. I just wanted to honor it, be totally respectful of it. And I'm not trying to take over the old one, you know? <laughs> Like, I know the original one, I've seen the original drawing, and I know its origins, and, like, I know how important that is. I was honored that they asked me to try to do it, you know, and I'm honored that they're using it for stuff. You know, it's um, one that's straight on, very, you know, looking at the original and making my own version. And then I made another one where it's kind of 
or is the originals coming straight at you? I made another one where he's kind of going over, uh, like it's moving and it's at a different angle and stuff. And just trying to like bring it to life. And then maybe just maybe if we can try to figure it out, we could like make some sort of incredible, like moving image at some point out of it, you know, cause that should happen. Yeah. I'm I'm just fucking obsessed with skulls. I'm obsessed with record artwork. I'm obsessed. And so, of course, I love that image. You know, I've always loved that image since I've seen it. So it's very cool to have the opportunity to uh, do something with it. It's all coming with uh, respect and love for everybody that's been around supporting these guys forever. And we just want to see you continue to be happy and... um, inspired by what the guys are doing and we love you and we love you a real honor for us on tracks to be joined by wes lang you should go and follow wes at Westlang loves you and check out as much of his artwork as is humanly possible. His work is so special. Fall down rabbit holes and follow him at Westlang loves you. So we welcome M Shadows back to tracks now to discuss something that's a little sensitive, which is how you make music videos work at this point in the band's career. They're very different. These days, when you look at what happened with the stage and on the video for Nobody, very, very different to some of the videos that we've spoken about on tracks. If you haven't checked out the episode on Unholy Confessions, we go into how that video came about and you're about to hear just how drastically different it is for the band to make albums and make videos and create in today's world and at this point in their lives and in their career in a way that is cool and representative of who they are today and befitting of their legacy. It's a hell of a skill, but they do it hella well. This is M Shadows again, Chris Hopewell, the man behind the Nobody video on the way after this. I wanted to bring um, some of our favourite humans to the conversation, and that's uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And when they made Team America, they were like, fuck ever doing this again because of the stop motion and the puppets and all the rest of it. But you guys are gluttons for punishment on, on that front. What is it about stop motion and Chris's style that makes it... It was right for the stage and it's right for nobody. And those two bits of art are very different from one another, but you've kept that principle. Why is that? So I think there's two competing sort of ideas here that resulted in calling Chris again. First off, we love Chris. He's able to download complex concepts and have a very interesting take on them and also be able to spit them out in a quick artistic way which is something you really want. You don't want to sit there and have to explain to someone over and over and go over every single aspect of what it's like to have some out of body, you know, existential experience. Like he's got his own ideas and he's been through things and he he knows how to capture a feeling without being too far on the nose. But there's a bigger discussion of music videos, right? Why don't you guys do a music video? Well, one thing that really we were aware of, hyper aware of is watching and this this always comes off like it's talking crap and it's not watching 40, 50 year olds in music videos, jump around like they were 20 or even just rock out doesn't excite us at all. And when you look at music video budgets and you try to do like a big concept that also gets convoluted and weird when you have actors and trying to get across this deeper meaning. And so we're looking at artists that we think have aged gracefully, one of them being Romstein, where we feel like they don't take themselves very seriously. You can see Till in face paint, lipstick, a dress, a butcher's outfit, anything, but he's not taking himself seriously. And I think that's a really cool way to kind of get older. If they were taking themselves seriously and everything was them rocking out and they're just like taking, and I would feel like 
that wouldn't interest me as much. So if you look at the aesthetic and the approach on this record, if you look at the photo shoots and you look at like, we have crazier things coming out, trust me. And they'll probably be out by the time this comes out, photos and stuff that we took at the Salton Sea with shirts off and grills and pantyhose on the face and cigarettes and just disgusting and almost gummo-esque, right? The haircuts, the idea of just like, every record's going to be a vibe, but we're not going to take ourselves seriously in this, like we're rocking out and we're going to show you how cool this song is. So if you take those two ideas, there was no room for us to do like a, a live music video. We just didn't uh, yeah. did not interest us. So then it was like, well, what do we do? And as no music video, or we go with somebody that we completely trust sort of tool approach or the Primus approach. And we always love claymation. We've always loved stop motion. We've always loved those sort of ideas. Um, and so Chris was the obvious guy to call. And when you have someone like that, that you trust now, listen, we're going to the label and it costs a lot. And they're, and they're going like, well, do you trust this guy? And we're like, we trust this guy full heartedly. We've had all these meetings with him. We've already done the stage with him. This guy will take anything we do. And with, even without our direction, he'll nail it. And so that's why we did it, you know, and we just don't, we're not in the point right now where we feel like we want to do some dead serious. We almost did that with goddamn, and goddamn to me just comes off as not a big enough budget to pull off what you want. And you're a bunch of guys jumping around in a warehouse with yeah. some effects. And to me, I can't even stomach that at this point. So I would rather do nothing because yeah, I just great. don't think, I just don't think the five of us are so cool looking that we need to see us again. I think that if you want to see that, we'll be playing live. Let's do an artistic expression on one music video or whatever we do, make them cool and unique. You know, we like the Romstein approach. We like when people are wild. You can, you can age graceful. You can age in a cool way. I think as long yeah. as you feel comfortable, then, then you can, but yeah, that's kind of a no-no for us at this point. And so I, I don't think you're going to see many videos of us moving forward that are in that kind of style. Yeah. And you can like, it's, it's not like if you're like, quote unquote, not taking something seriously, it's not like it can't still have merit. Like the evil dead is still a violent movie, but it's hilarious, right? For same, sure. for, same for Terrifier in the modern era, right? 100%. Like it's, it's hilarious, but like it's violent and it's like, you know, you're not putting it on at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. And you can say the same thing. I mean, look at like Quentin kind of was one of the first people that did these super serious movies, but they were very funny. Yeah. Were, and, you know, and it's like you start that sort of thing and it's like, it's okay to kind of move into this new, like, you don't need to take yourself super serious. Now, when I look at like life is but a dream, I think, I think the subject matter is so serious that you have to laugh at it. It's like, yeah, dude, this place, like no one knows what's going on. It kind of sucks, kind of cool, but it's kind of like, you know, one in a trillion, yeah. but what do I do? It's okay to make laugh. the most of it. Yeah. It's absurd, right? The whole yeah. thing's absurd. So yeah, make the most of it. And by the way, about your question about glutton for punishment, I mean, that's on him. Like, yeah, we, yeah, that's, have, <laughs> we don't have the stuff to do either. That dude sits there and it's hours and hours. And, you know, when he texts me back, I know what it is in UK time. And it's, um, he's up at all hours doing this stuff. So that's on him. That's, we write the check <laughs> and we tell him the idea. And then it's like, all right, see you in like four months, buddy. Our thanks as always to Matt for his time and for setting the record straight. Just in case you had wondered why stop motion is the way that Avenged Sevenfold have taken their last couple of music videos, now you know. And now we're going to talk to the visionary genius behind those music videos. Also from the UK... God save the king, I guess, now and all of that. Chris Hopewell uh, is a man who I think it's perhaps a British trait to not want to aggrandize our own achievements. So please let me do it on Chris's behalf. His video, his breakthrough video for Radiohead's track, There There, is one of the best music videos of the 21st century. And if not the 21st century, then of all time. He has worked with everyone from Run the Jewels to the Scissor Sisters, Father John Misty, lots of things outside of the walls of rock and metal. But that's all the more reason why Chris's 
natural love for all things rock, metal, skeletons and gnarly imagery shines through so vivaciously in his videos with Avenged Sevenfold. So, with no further waffle from me, I introduce the one and only Mr Chris Hopewell. We've done a video for them like a long time back uh, for the stage. Uh, Zaki and Matt have been in touch uh, since then, um, sort of saying, hey, we've got another one coming out. This is about a year and a half ago, to be honest. They sort of said, oh, there's another one coming out. Would you be interested? And we were like, hell yeah, you know, we'd love to. We'd love to. I mean, I, I just love working with songs which are that long because you get to do a real narrative. Luckily enough, I, I was out in L.A., uh, I think it was last April, and the guys were around, so we met up and had a coffee. Uh, and they shared the track uh, a couple of months later when it was um, when it was all mixed down. As soon as you hear the track, I mean, I listen to these tracks when I'm writing for them, probably about five hundred times, six hundred times. You just listen to it on repeat and repeat and repeat till it's meshed in your brain. And um, we then went backwards and forwards with uh, Zaki on some ideas and with Matt on some ideas. And it kind of, it, it ended up that, um, I mean, things changed, yeah, like things changed a little bit. There was, you know, this concept and that concept, like you're always going to have with a music video, you know, those ideas get floated. But we ended up with this concept that came from Matt in the end. This was around about September, October. He'd kind of come up with this sort of like basic, you know, like, um, uh, like a very basic concept. And then we got the kind of like a, a better mixed version of the track and then, as far as I remember, I started um, coming up with kind of ideas for it, talking with Zaki and talking uh, with Matt. And then it went through kind of like revisions and revisions for November. So then we actually finally started hiring the studio, started to build models, started to do character sketches in December. So I think that mid-December, just before Christmas, we, we were mm. like, okay, let's go for it. And that was great because then the kind of, with a project like this, because it is a long song and it's 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 a lot of animation, you kind of take the brakes off the train at the top of the hill, and it and that's it. You're kind of um, you're on this kind of roller coaster ride from then. So we started actually making the video on second of January. So that was our first day in the workshop, actually building, starting to build the the buildings and the little skeleton guys and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think what made the process really kind of smooth is that once the treatment was written. The guys kind of just went like, okay, we realise how complicated this is. We realise how time-consuming it is. Just go for it. I think that level of trust with a band is is really nice. I mean, it's, it's, it would be very hard to do what we do without people just going like, okay, go for it. You know. I think the last thing we, when we talked on the phone, I think they were like, just make it brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so we discussed a lot about the concept of the album and specifically Nobody on the last episode of Tracks. Can I ask you what the concept is for the video so that we can see how that correlates and we'll get into the the kind well, of the minutiae of that from there? I mean, it's, it's interesting really because, I mean, the lyrics, the lyrics are by Matt, so it's about his own experience. I mean, he told me, you know, like why he wrote it and what it was about and this kind of, you know, like this whole thing about the death of the ego and that kind of stuff. Mm. And it seemed to me, I mean, that you, I don't think to make it, to make a really good sort of like music video or really good rock videos, you can't be too on the nail. You can't be, okay, in that case, then we're going to do exactly what the lyrics about. We're going to follow the lyrics. We're going to put this on this thing. And this has got to mean that thing. To me, I, I, I kind of went into it thinking, well, this is an experience that um, Matt has had, which he's written the song about. And this is kind of quite a free form kind of experience. So I didn't want to be too rigid about the kind of narrative, really. I think one of the first things I wrote is like, there is a journey, but I didn't want to be too prescriptive about what that journey was. I think I think a lot of it should just be visually very interesting, you know, like like the artwork is, you know, like you don't have to explain why the artwork is the artwork. Yeah, it, so we just sort of said, look, I'm just going to do something which is like visually kind of in key with what I, what I feel, you know, like um, after talking to Matt, what I feel I got from that conversation and what I feel I got from... Uh, what what I was getting from the music, 
and I don't know, it's, it's weird because sometimes you get kind of labels interfere and they go, oh, it's got to be on this, it's got to be this, and, you know, we, could you feature this in it, could you feature that in it? Yeah. Uh, they were totally no pressure. They were just sort of like, well, you know, like just do the way that you see it. So It's about the art with them. Yeah, I, I can, yeah. I can well, see Well, very it. much. I mean, I, I think because they're artists, they, they respect other artists. So, I mean, I, as a video artist, I'm not going to tell them how to mix the album. And as musical artists... They're not going to sort of like go, well, shouldn't it be this? The thing is, it all boils down to you know, that word again, trust. It's like anything in you know, like the musical film industry. People just got to trust each other. I think when it can go badly wrong, you know, like is when you get, you know, like um, short-sighted, you know, like label people or whatever going like, this doesn't cut to the beat and this is, you know, you know like I've had a lot of that in the past. <laughs> yeah. it, it feels like the concept from your perspective is more about provoking the emotions that the song is about as opposed to visualising what the song yes. is about. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, the thing is, I think you've got to feel certain things at certain points in the track Nobody. I mean, there's certain bits where we pull out... I mean, obviously the big pull-outs on the island and with the eye, you know, like, those are kind of like, like real kind of... Um, awesome moments in that piece of music and you've got a, you've obviously got a build towards those and what i think also i love about the track is that it does have also this kind of like boom 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 which is where we came up with the kind of this guy walking continuously it's like you know this this sort of trudge through uh, you know these kind of really bleak desperate landscapes He doesn't even really notice what's going on or what's happening around him. It's just sort of like just keep moving forward. I mean, that this is all my interpretation, you know, like, and yeah. what I what I thought would work well with the track. And luckily, uh, the guys loved it. So. <laughs> When I look at your hit list of bands you've worked with, Radiohead, Father John Misty, The Killers, Scissor Sisters, Run The Jewels, Avenged are like the only heavier band on that particular list. Does that change the way you approach a project, like, visually? No, not really. I, I, I don't think it does. I think... I mean, the thing is, I've always wanted to do rock videos. Like, since I started, I wanted to do... I mean, when I started off, uh, my, my sort of wish list was like Green Day, R.E.M., you know, this sort of like more guitar-y kind of stuff. I really wanted to do Queens of Stone Age. I really wanted to work with like Metallica. And because the first, first video we ever did was for Radiohead, uh, yeah, I mean, I love that video. It's... Yeah, classic. It's, it's I, I still, I and mean, I don't watch it very often, but occasionally I watch it when I need a sort of ego boost and think like, yeah, that actually is pretty good. Um, <laughs> I'll do it but, for you as well. That video is an absolute <laughs> classic. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to my dad the other day. He said, I haven't watched that in 20 years. It's an amazing piece of work. And I'm like, oh, I, so I watched it again and it is quite good, yeah. But that, <laughs> again, that's, a, that's another team effort like this one. Yeah. There's a lot of people involved in that. But I, I mean, I always thought with my background, because I'm kind of, yeah, like came out of the whole sort of punk rock kind of like heavy metal kind of loving, you know, like having seen bands like Metallica in the 80s and going to things like Download Fest and that kind of stuff. I really thought that that's what I would kind of slip into was more sort of rocky kind of stuff and more metal. But it kind of transpired that we, if a band comes along and they like what I do and I like their music and I like them, then I just think, well, let's do it. But yeah, we haven't, yeah, you're right. We haven't done a lot of rock stuff. I'd like to do more because it's, um, it's a visual aesthetic that you can really, you can be really like big and bold and go over the top, you know. Like, I mean, I don't know, there's, there's, there's always room for subtlety because the music isn't always kind of like brash. It's sometimes beautifully subtle. It's like with the Nobody track. I mean, I, all I was thinking of when I was kind of putting that together was all those kind of like um, progressive rock kind of album covers that I love from the 70s and the 80s. You know, like where there's just these great big kind of fantastical spacecapes or kind of floating islands or what comes to know, mind? Like, yes, album covers and stuff like that. You know, like and um, like again, again, Metallica kind of stuff. Yeah, things like um, all, all kinds of stuff. Really, I mean, I've always loved that kind of seventies, early eighties kind of airbrush kind of fantasy kind of art, and it's never really fitted 
uh, with the kind of artists that we work with, you know, like at all, you know, like because it is, it's a very specific look. explain like the top line of the process of making a video with stop motion i mean to break it down really simply to, to technically make something but well, any any kind of stop motion and um specifically this one i mean the first thing you do is you do a storyboard and then you put that storyboard to the music okay so you edit you know that you just got pictures on the track uh, so you get the edit right the, that edit then gets signed off by the band, uh, and then you just animate what's on those pictures. So every single thing that you see on screen has been made, uh, painted, and put on that screen for a reason. There's no happy accidents like when you're filming in the desert and you go, wow, shooting star, you know, like, uh, or like dust cloud, or, you know, like with this, everything that's on the screen is on there for a reason. So you would, uh, you would then start to begin... When you've done the animatic, okay, which is the moving storyboard, you would then start to make the models where you do the design work, then you start to build the models. And all of the models, well, the main guy, in this, in Nobody, there's only one character moving, so we only had to actually put an armature in the one figure. And the armature things are the, is the most important thing. It's what makes the thing move. You know, you use wire, you use ball joints. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people have seen animation for years. They're all tiny little joints and everything has to be able to move like a kind of human being or whatever the character is. And then uh, you build the sets, then you get a digital... We always film on, uh, I think it's Canon Canon D5s, which are uh, super high-res 4K digital stills cameras. And then everything is taken as individual shots uh, and there's 24 or 25 of those a second. So sometimes you have to take 25 pictures per second Okay, and sometimes you do it on what's called twos, where you take 12 pictures every 25 seconds, and that's for kind of slower movement um, or, or faster movement, depending. So for each second you see, there's probably between 12 and 25 individual frames. I mean, that's why when, when you look at this stuff, you can actually break it down into, if you freeze it, it's crystal clear because each one is a super high-res 5K still. So, it, yeah, it's... a it's a process. And then you get these stills, you replace these shots on your animatic, and then you take it to the graders and you colour it, make it look nice. Put some post-effects. I mean, there's not that many... I mean, there are a lot of post-effects in this one, the skies and stuff like that. Everything was shot against a green screen, so we had to put the skies in the background. And there are some... Some of the, some of the islands uh, are CGI, and the bridge, he walks across the CGI. So it's a bit of a process. Normally, you'd make all these models beforehand and then shoot it. But because music videos are such a fast turnaround, what you'll do is you'll get these models, you'll get one scene made, which was the scene when he's walking past the guy on the bike and the garage and all that kind of stuff. So we made all the models for that, started shooting that. And so at that point, we were then making all the models for the construction scene. Um, and then while you're filming work, we were then uh, making all the models for war. So it kind of leapfrogs all the way through. So there's always something to do, uh, and it's pretty busy. I mean, those, those days we were doing, I, I mean, I was up at sort of half four, five, and and then you start shooting at like half seven, eight, if you can. Yeah, like everyone's in the studio at half seven, you're shooting at, hopefully shooting by nine, and you'll maybe get about, uh, I don't know, maybe eight. I mean, sometimes you can get 15 seconds a day. Depends on the action. I mean, with this one, because it was such a long song, I mean, obviously we can't have everything, yeah, like all singing, all dancing. But that didn't really fit with the whole vibe anyway, because I wanted the whole world to appear to be frozen. I mean, this is, again, it's harking back to the conversation we had with Matt, you know, like, and I think that kind of, that altered state kind of thing where you're the only person that feels real or unreal, depending on how you feel. Uh, and I thought it would be, quite fitting to have our character, the skeleton, as the only thing that's actually alive, even though he's a skeleton. So, <laughs> it, it's, it, I mean, it is a massive, um, weird, contradictory kind of metaphors, really, the whole thing. I was going to yeah. ask what makes stop animation worth that hassle uh, and something that people would look at, but is it that everything is intentional? You can create anything? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the one thing that I love about it. I, d- I don't know. I, mean, I, I love the look of it, and I lo- I've loved the look of it since I was, you know, like a little kid, you know, watching stuff on TV, like children's programmes or, you know, like animated films. I mean, cartoon animation, 2D stuff, you know, I was never really that into, but I was very into the kind of the stop-motion model animation. I just thought it was there was something about it. And it's not that it's kind of magical. It's kind of like a little bit eerie. It, it, it's got a kind of um, a feel to it that kind of captures your eye. You, you can't stop looking at it. And I, I think that that's something in the human brain, I don't know, because you know, you're knitting leather stills together and it never moves perfectly, you know, like naturally. There's always a sort of clickiness to it. or well, there is when I do it. Um, so the animation that I do is a bit more kind of old school. Like we leave the little clicky bits in there. We leave some of the kind of like uh, the rougher edges in there because I think you can completely iron the charm out of animation. And I think one of the things that I adored about animation when I was growing up was that you that you could see sometimes the pins holding the puppet's feet down and you could see them sort of clicking around and the eyes, eyes are going a bit funny. I, I love the kind of naivety of it. I think that, you know, that you, you can take it too far um, and make it a little bit too polished. And I mean, we've never got the time to make it polished anyway, but <laughs> so I think the music video thing is perfect for me because it's a good sort of limited palette discipline, like because like, you've only got like six weeks to film it. So, you know, like, every take's got a count. I mean, I think we reshot maybe three shots on Nobody and the other ones uh, are, are amazing. Uh, animator Jackie she got them right first time so that was a good thing but I I kind of like the flaws you know I like some of the little erratic elements to it I mean I don't think I could work with an animator that was a perfectionist that wanted to get it absolutely smooth and you get you get this very fluid hand movements very fluid kind of like hair in the wind all that kind of stuff I'd rather have it a little bit kind of um jolty and stiff to be honest I think I think to me that's what the beauty of it is the sort of the the naivety of it is is the beauty. Yeah, it's it's funny. We spoke on the last episode when we spoke about the song itself and getting a actual human violin player to do the string part and how the imperfection of hearing the hand struggling is so much more satisfying than if it were clinical and, like you say, if it was everything was ironed out and that perfectionist angle. So it's good to see that, like, these the elements and the idea behind the creation creativity bleed from one thing into the other totally i mean if you want perfection do it in cgi (laughs) (laughs) and then and then you can sit in front of a computer for for two months making it i'd rather personally i'd rather be on the set getting my hands dirty and yeah like building stuff and painting stuff and making stuff it's i think the tactile nature of what you've made or what the team have made that's what gives it that's what gives stop motion the appeal the fact is you're it, you're not trying to make perfect miniatures you're not trying to make like a tiny little perfect um models you know it's got humanity to it it's got a flaw to it it's got like it's got life yeah um can i ask what the skeletons and the fire and things are made out of they're made out of um the skeletons themselves there's two different scales the the guy you see walking um throughout the uh, the piece uh, he's 11 inches tall, which is about the size of a sort of Barbie or Ken doll, and, and he is 3D printed. So he's designed on a computer and then 3D printed in resin, and then I took it and put the joints inside it, the ball joints, so he could be animated. And I tell you, I tell you now, the, the hardest thing to put an armature in is a skeleton because there's nowhere to hide it. I mean, normally you've got clothes or plasticine or latex or silicon, but with this, we had to get the the ball joints in this. The ball, the actual balls in the joints are three millimeters. The actual balls, so the ball joints are probably uh, I don't know, like six millimeters. They're tiny. They're the size of not even the size of your little fingernail. So we had to get those into this rather. I mean, and as anyone that knows who's got any three D printed models, if you drop them, they shatter like an egg. Do you know what I mean? They will just explode into a thousand tiny shards. It's almost like dealing with China or something like that. And the the smaller skeletons where you don't see our guy walking, those are about 11 centimetres tall, uh, and which is about the size of a Star Wars figure. Those had to be that small because we wanted the scenes to be huge. 
So if we'd have tried to make some of those scenes with 11-inch uh, skeletons, those scenes would have been the size of the whole studio, probably bigger. So obviously, you know, like time and motion, all that kind of stuff, we decided that we would make the uh, the work scene and the war scene, they were all, uh, I think it's one sixteenth scale, but the the scene where he's in the, uh, the green world, that's full size. That set was, I think, 24 feet wide. So <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge set. That's a, that set is what you see is we actually built that in the studio and everything. Um, again, when he's walking down the street with the guy on the bike and the and the people watching TV, I think that set is twenty feet wide and eight feet deep. Mm. That was the first thing we made. That, yeah, they, I mean that's what we normally do. We normally do massive sets. What are you most proud of in the Nobody video? Most proud of? Uh, well, basically the crew that made it, um, the wonderful crew that really, really worked their asses off to get it done. I mean, it was, I think from the beginning, it was on the edge of doable, you know, like, and we, we, they, all of us kind of pulled it together and they were, they, they were brilliant. I'm most proud of that. I think, yeah. and I'm most, most proud of probably the, the big, beautiful vistas that we created, you know, like, between all of us. Uh, could I ask artistically about the video, what you're most proud of as well to go with that? Uh, artistically, I think my favourite parts of it, I mean, I love, I love the, the, the animation. I love the scene walking up the tower. I think that's got, like, it, it really goes with the music. It's beautifully animated. Uh, I think maybe shooting the scenes from war with the, with the giant robot. I mean, they were, they were pretty exciting and everybody got pretty excited in the studio shooting those. So I think, yeah, making, making the robot and putting those scenes together. And I'm, I'm quite proud of how it looked. <laughs> Can you name a fact about the nobody video that nobody knows? Forgive oh pardon. gosh. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of facts. There's only there's only eight of those big skeletons, although it looks like there's more. Uh, we just kept reusing the same ones. Um, and I think there's only like 150 of the little ones, but by careful shooting, we managed to make it look like hundreds of them and that. So, yeah. I don't know if there's any other kind of secrets, really, that I can give away. <laughs> and what's the best thing about working with Event Sevenfold, finally? I think the best thing about working with Ben Sevenfold is that they just they are they are full of ideas. Uh, the music is amazing to to write to. It's like have it's it's a filmmaker's dream, really, having music which is almost like a score because it has so much to it, so many elements to it. So I think that's that is the best thing. And also the fact is they just kind of they they trust you and they let you do your thing. And just like that, our time together is over. Thank you so much for joining us on Tracks, the official Avenged Sevenfold podcast. Our thanks to Wes Lang, to Chris Hopewell and to M Shadows, but mostly to all of you. We hope that you are even more stoked for June the 2nd, life is but a dream. A7XWorld.com is the place to go and pre-order the album, pre-save the album wherever you stream your music. And please do subscribe to Tracks because we're going to have way more to talk about on the run-up to life is but a dream. June 2nd, get it in your calendars. We'll see you next time. I have been Bees, they are Avenged Sevenfold, and this is Tracks, the official Avenged Sevenfold podcast. <laughs>